Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here at the sleep-in service. Thanks for joining us today. I heard uh, via the grapevine, we've got some friends watching from Dublin, Ireland this morning. So we're welcome to our friends in Dublin. We're glad that you're here with us. Sometimes my message preparation is fun and passionate and invigorating because there's something new discovered around every single corner. I love it. But sometimes it's a battle. It's a grind. It's frustrating. This past week was the second experience. It, was, it just wasn't working. I was so frustrated with the passage and I was saying to myself, who picked this passage? And the only person I can blame is myself because I picked it, okay? Assigned it to myself. The frustration was real. But here's what I learned. When your relationship with God's word gets challenging, take a step back, breathe, and ask God a simple question. What do you need me to know? I did that this past week and this was God's answer. Grant, you're trying so hard to figure out the meaning of the passage, you're missing what's right in front of you. So just relax. Find my heart. There's truth right here. And so I want to welcome you to a piece of God's word that has become very precious to me through a very painful process. And hopefully you'll be encouraged by it too. Matthew 17 shares this obscure, interesting little miracle. The Bible says after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause an offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin take it give it to them for my tax and yours that is an interesting and obscure little story it's an interesting miracle it's one of only two miracles in scripture the other being the cursing of the fig tree that we ran into in our easter series where there's no physical impact on a person this miracle is different because it involves ethics and taxes and God's provision. I'm going to do my best to make this personal for you. We just came through tax season. Yay! For those of you who got a return, yay! For those of you who had to pay, thank you for paying for all the road construction we are all now trying to navigate. Benjamin Franklin said, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. There you go, right? Even Jesus was subject to the first part of Franklin's statement, the taxes. But thank God he wasn't also subject to the second part, the death part, because death did not keep Jesus down. If you missed it, we call it Easter around here, where we celebrate that Jesus came back to life again and rose again. This passage begins with Peter. He's a fisherman turned follower. And he's being challenged outdoors by a group of spiritual antagonists. They're stirring up an issue... And they're asking a question whether or not Jesus paid a temple tax. During this time, a religious tax was taken for the upkeep of the temple. It's kind of some of the stuff. That, right, you know, they, they needed to keep up the bathrooms. They needed to look after the offerings. They needed to make sure that things were taken care of. And, and don't get hung up there in the story because that's where I got stuck. I'll get to the temple tax at the end of the message, but I want you to notice this truth. There's a single purpose in this miracle. 
And it was to teach Peter, and it was to teach us that Jesus is God, and he's always one step ahead. This question about Jesus paying the temple tax happens outside, and and if you miss a little detail, it's really important. When Peter walks in, Jesus already knows the question. How does that happen? Because Jesus is God, and he knows everything. Jesus already knows about the challenging conversation that happened outside, and he's got a response ready. So what does that mean for every single one of us? It means Jesus already knows your questions today. He knows the questions that that you would consider small that you don't even want to bother him with. By the way, there is nothing too small to talk to God about. The big questions, the the ones that you know that if you make a decision could change absolutely everything. Jesus knows what happened outside before you came in and he's ready to meet with you and his response is absolutely perfect. There's an open door today just like there was for Peter. Here's another piece about Jesus being God. This is how far out in front God is. We're going to jump all the way to the end of the story. There's a fish in the sea with a coin in its mouth that's been selected for this moment. Think about how amazing that is. What's the mathematical probability that there's one fish in a sea with a coin in its mouth at the end of a rocky outcropping that Peter's going to throw a line in and that fish is going to bite while simultaneously holding currency in its mouth? Some people say that's impossible. It is. That's exactly why it's called a miracle. Who can pull off miracles? Jesus. At the end of our time together today, just like we did in the last service, I'm going to ask if any of you needs a miracle today to stand to your feet and we're going to pray together. We're going to pray to the God who can preordain a specific fish with currency in his mouth because we know that that same God who sponsored this miracle could also answer your prayers for yours. What else can this interesting story tell us? Number two is that your personal conversation with God actually matters. I'm learning every day more and more how to carry on a conversation with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I I used to do lists. Nothing wrong with lists. But I used to show up, here's my list, here's what I need, one and done. I'm going to say it again, there's nothing wrong with bringing your requests, your needs, and your supplications to Jesus. But I'm learning that prayer is so much more than that. It's so much more. I'm learning after 30 plus years of being a pastor, how to have an ongoing conversation with God that never ceases. Jesus and I talk all day long about meetings and responses and my heart and my desires and my dreams. And I'm learning to listen to his voice for his direction. And I'll tell you something, when you tune in with God, it's joyful and it brings you peace in all circumstances. I used to think that the verse pray without ceasing was highly aspirational. I also thought it was somewhat impossible because of how I viewed talking to God. I don't know about you, but I used to have this very practiced and rehearsed approach to prayer. Everything kind of started like this. My dear, loving, heavenly Father. Even if it was just Laurel and I, right? Felt like I was prepping for a speech. And it's true. That is who God is. My dear, loving, heavenly Father. But he's also a dad, a king, a friend, a comforter. He's Jesus, a miracle worker. He's near, attentive, responsive, holy, involved, protective, understanding, active, loving, guiding, and always talking. Saying it again, I've been a pastor for more than 30 years. I feel like I'm just figuring out how to have an ongoing conversation with Jesus. 
Jesus and Peter are in a conversation. They're talking and listening. Don't miss the point here. Peter's outside. He's got a dilemma. Who's the first person he turns to? I'm gonna go talk to Jesus about this. First resort. How do we, how do we normally approach this? I got a problem. I'm gonna check in with me, mine, and ours. I'm gonna look after all of the things that I possibly can. I'm not gonna to talk to Jesus unless I absolutely have to. How do we mostly approach him? He's our final resort. What if that changed? What if like Peter, it's like, I got a, I got a problem. I gotta go straight to Jesus. Jesus and Peter engage in a conversation. They're talking and listening. He has an encounter outside and Jesus has a question when he arrives inside. Peter responds, and and the reason this whole exchange happens is because they are simply present in the moment. Peter's experiencing the presence of God in a conversation, and it works because he's present. Can I tell you something else I'm learning? I'm learning what it means to truly be present in a conversation. I'm an easily distracted human being. My whole world is like, I'm doing this, squirrel, and it's just like, that's just how quickly it happens for me. And I just follow, I just go. I began to realize I struggle with spending my time and my energy in a conversation. And the reason I struggle is because I'm always trying to come up with a brilliant response. And while I'm thinking about my brilliant response, I'm completely missing out on what the person in front of me is saying. I heard this last week, it's been helpful for me. Be wherever your feet are. Let me say that again, just be wherever your feet are. Are. I'm learning something else. Listen to this. Talk in such a way that the goal is for the other person to understand, not just for you to explain. Let me say that again. Talk in such a way that the goal is for the other person to understand, not just for you to explain. That is some serious relational gold right there. Let's come back to the importance of presence. I walked past a soccer game the other day. I noticed something. It's a group of little kids playing soccer, having a ball, literally. I watched the game for a bit, and then I look over at the parents all standing down the sideline. They all had one thing in common. They were all on their phone. All of them. It was so sad because the kids kept looking over at their parents to see if they were watching, if they were present. And by their actions, the parents were making a very sad and profound statement. And the statement is this, whatever is happening on my phone right now is more important than you. They were saying, I'm giving the people that I'm connecting with in this moment, I'm giving them more priority than you. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to his children? You have God's undivided attention. What if you gave him yours? Peter has an issue. His dilemma brings him to Jesus for direction. They start with a conversation. Here's the third truth from the passage. Jesus actually says this. It's so fascinating. Have a conversation, then he says, but so that we may not cause an offense. Here it comes teachable moment for all of us, especially me. Pick your battles and be unoffendable. One of the issues I see in the faith community is we view anyone who holds an opposing or a contrary view as my enemy, my mortal enemy. Can I just tell you that person who holds a different cultural opinion, a different value or spiritual conviction is not your enemy. They, they may in fact be a victim of the enemy. 
But that doesn't mean that they're your enemy. I want to make sure I'm clear here. Jesus is not ducking conflict. There were so many moments in scripture when Jesus would go head to head with the spiritual leaders of the day. If you don't believe me, listen to this. This is Jesus talking to a group of religious people. And here's what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's intense. Jesus is not afraid to confront. He's not afraid to say it like it is. And we're going to introduce some tension here because the same Jesus that confronts him that way also inspired scripture writers through the Holy Spirit to instruct us to confront with words like gentleness, respect, so that they can see the evidence of Jesus in our life. So how do we reconcile all of that? Here's the bottom line. Jesus is just picking his spot. There'll be a time for confrontation. It's just not right now. What can we learn from that? Well, I believe as God's children, we can learn there is a right topic, a right time, a right tone, and a right territory when it comes to confronting any issue. We get it absolutely wrong when we think everything is an issue and it's got to be confronted and it's our voice that must be heard. So let me break it down for you the right topic. There are many issues that have to be faced head on. How do I know that they've got to be dealt with? Well, here's a good rule of thumb. Did Jesus confront them? Jesus spoke boldly about the topics of injustice and hypocrisy and heresy and sin and life and death, but he always had the same motivation. Even though he confronted it with hard truth, it was always to give the person at the other end of the issue an opportunity to choose a godly path. This may surprise some of you, but not every topic needs to be confronted this very second. I got one amen from the corner. Thank you so much. Second is the right time. There's a correct time to confront an issue, which also means there's an incorrect time to challenge an issue. Married people, you know this, right? (laughs) You got to learn to pick your moment. Because if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, it never turns out in the right way. Somebody say amen, right? It just doesn't work that way. You've got you've to pick your moment. So that means this, waiting for the right time is wisdom. Jesus is just saying, this isn't the right time. Well, I'm going to loop back, believe me. We'll talk with the temple tax police. Just not right now. And there's the right tone. I find three things in the New Testament when it comes to confronting an issue. Truth, gentleness, and respect. They show up over and over and over again. Truth, gentleness, and respect. Which means this, if your anger keeps showing up and getting the best of you in conversations, you need to back up and back off because you're in danger of crossing the line into sin. And finally, there's the right territory. This is a, a very valid question. Is this issue my business because I made it my business? Or does this issue and the heart that goes along with it belong firmly in God's hands? Am I following God's promptings to have the conversation? 
Let me put it another way. Am I going to engage in this controversy because God is prompting me or because I'm just feeling scrappy, I didn't sleep good last night and I've had a lot of caffeine? Laurel and I just dealt with a tough issue in a part of our world outside of CTK. We're trying really hard to bring some truth to a group of people that that we, we really love and care about. And when we brought the issue to bear, here's how, we, here's how we navigated it. We said what we needed to say. We did what God asked us to do. And then we had to trust that God would take care of the rest. It was all under his authority and his territory because we knew we were representing his heart and his truth. So here's the application for all of us. Do you pause before you engage? before you get all lit up about some kind of thing that's happening in culture, do you pause before you engage? Do you measure your heart in response? Or do you just come in spiritual guns blazing, looking for a fight and needing to be right? Jesus is saying right here in the verse, he says, "Uh, Peter, now's not the time to offend this group of people. We're gonna strategically choose to not engage in a debate about the cultural application of a religious tax. There'll come a time when we do engage, but, but we're going to get to the heart of the matter. We're just not going to do it right now. Do you hear what God is saying? He's saying, do you have the wisdom to ask God? Should I engage now or not? Do you have the self-control to wait if that's what he asks of you? And don't take this as permission because some of you are just like, Grant, I can wait my whole life. I don't want to get involved in conflict at all. I am not interested. I'll just wait my whole life. No, for some of us on the other end of the spectrum, the the question is not, are you going to wait or not wait? The question is, do you have the courage to ask God if you should engage and then do if he says yes? Here's truth number four. I do a YouTube live show on Wednesday afternoons. I take live questions from around the world and I do my best to answer their questions through scripture. A few weeks ago, I got asked a question. I loved it. It said, can Christians have fun? They're all so serious. <laughs> well, and I love what comes next in the story because I believe it's a truth that some of us need to hear. Number four, in the middle of this serious conversation about the temple tax, I believe Jesus invites Peter to do something. Have some fun. Can you have some fun? There's a little detail in this story that shows this unique part of Jesus' character. Jesus tells Peter, go grab a line and a hook. Some of you are like, what's the big deal? Peter's a commercial fisherman. He caught with nets, not hooks. Peter's reaction may have been, "Uh, you want me to do what? That, that's what six-year-old fishermen do, Jesus. I, I, I catch with a net. With a net. I've, I've elevated it. You, you want me to go and throw a line in the water? I mean, I hope my other friends don't see me. I mean, I'll be the laughing stock of all the other commercial fishermen. I, I used to fish that way when I was a kid, but now I'm, I'm much older. I'm much more serious. I'm a fisherman. I believe Jesus is saying something to Peter. Hey, Peter, I, I think you need to slow down. Don't get caught up in all of this controversy over here. No, have some fun. Have you forgotten what you love about fishing, Peter? I know you love to fish, 
So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to custom design a miracle for you that involves something you used to love. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to lose enjoyment over something we used to love and then it becomes our job and we don't enjoy it anymore? I want to remind you of something today. Have you forgotten that God wants you to enjoy life? We get so fixated on the difficult, challenging parts of life. You know the proof of that? As we get older, what do we talk about? We don't talk about how good life is. We talk about our aches and our pains, right? We talk about the fact that after a certain age, we injure ourselves sleeping. How is that possible, right? I hurt myself. What happened? I don't know. I woke up and the pain was there, right? And we forget that God has instructed us to enjoy life. We're made in his image. So that means joy, humor, and fun. They actually came from him. We need to remember something. Genesis 1 says, God saw everything he made and behold, it was very good. We can't forget everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 6 says we need to remember that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We need to be reminded that, that he gave good food by giving rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. That's Acts chapter 14. Some people in this room today need to shout some praise because Psalm 104 says that God caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth good food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen a man's heart. We need to love and affirm that there is a theology of enjoyment in scripture but we forget about it all the time that's why hey Peter got some really serious stuff going on here go fishing watch what happens my brothers and sisters stop being so serious all the time Take God seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. Here's what this means. Pastor's orders for a Sunday afternoon. Take a walk. Enjoy a burger. Take a breath. Call a friend. Look around. Go fishing. And keep your eyes open for all of the miracles you're going to find away. Here's the last truth. I love this one. The bill is already paid. This tax that Jesus was questioned about had a very interesting name from the Old Testament. It was called the ransom for the soul. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. The formal name for this tax was the ransom for the soul. It comes out of the book of Exodus when it says, Then the Lord said to Moses... When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Several verses later, it says, receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. Let's try to make something that's a little scripturally confusing, as simple as we can. The tax was meant for the upkeep of the temple. What's interesting is this. Jesus actually had a legal exemption from paying the tax because he was a rabbi. This was the tension for Peter. These leaders were claiming that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, so they wanted him to pay. 
This was a tax-based argument on identity. And they were saying, Jesus, we know who you claim to be, but we don't buy it. And Jesus responds, I'm not going to engage with you right now. I don't have to prove my identity to you. I know exactly who I am. And one day soon, you're going to know who I am too. So I'm going, I'm going to show you I'm God. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay the ransom for your soul. I'm going to cover your bill. I'm going to pay the debt for your sin. Don't miss this. My sin took my soul hostage. Satan bound me up in my own sin and held me captive. I had no hope and I was dying. But Jesus came and paid the ransom for a debt I couldn't pay and set me free. Do you see what Jesus says to Peter? He says, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for what? My tax and yours. Jesus is saying, pay the tax, Peter. It's fine. (laughs) But don't let this be a distraction. Don't miss it. There's a bigger ransom being paid. Jesus is saying, this is not just about this little tiny coin. It's about my entire mission. I have come to pay for the sins of the world. I'm going to take the worst of them and put it on the perfection of me. I'm going to do a miracle for each and every person who will believe, which means this. If you are here today as a believer, Jesus paid the ransom for you and your sin, and you should thank him. If you don't know Jesus, today's the day when you can. I believe the only adequate response when someone pays for your life with their own is for you to offer your life back in return. You can do that today. Okay, we gotta wrap this up. I don't know about you, but I I like closure. I don't like cliffhangers. It drives me crazy when I watch a TV show for five seasons in a row. They build it up to this cliffhanger at the very end, and then the network cancels it before they put it back on again in the fall. Drives me nuts. Why? Because I don't have any closure. I need closure. Here's the deal. The Bible doesn't tell us if Peter went fishing. It doesn't tell us. We don't know if he went and threw the line in the water. Now, I'm pretty sure he did because Peter was a man of faith and he had a track record with Jesus that when you do the things that Jesus asks you to do, some pretty cool stuff can happen. But it doesn't say. Why is that important? Because it means this whole miracle is actually an invitation. Some of you have been waiting for a miracle for a really, really long time. And you're tired of waking up every day and throwing your line in the water, hoping that today is the day when you get your yes. Some of you have gotten so exhausted waiting for your miracle that you've stopped praying and asking. And yet this story to me is is an invitation that what if you started again today? What if you said, God, I know it doesn't make any sense. Coins don't show up in fish's mouths. 
but I'm going to believe. And I'm going to throw my line of faith out into the water because I believe you're the only one who can say yes. We did this in the last service. We're going to do it in this service again. One of the things that's so unbelievably important as a family of God is that we can move towards each other when someone else in the room may need a miracle. There are people in this room who need a physical miracle. There are people who need a financial miracle. There are people who need a relational miracle. There are people who need a scholastic miracle. There are so many different kinds of needs in this room. And only you know what your true need is. But I want to remind you of something. God knows. And he's asking you again, will you trust me and throw a line in the water? Will you believe that the same miracle I I did for Peter, I I can do for you? So I'm gonna ask you to do something courageous. We're wrapping up. It's gonna take about four minutes. If you are here today and you need an actual miracle, you're just like in my place, in my life right now, I need a miracle. If that describes you, would you be absolutely courageous and stand up right now? Just stand straight up. You need a miracle. Awesome. Can I say something to all of you? Me too. Me too. And now I'm going to ask the rest of the family of faith, now is your opportunity to move towards. So if someone stood near you somewhere, would you do the most loving thing you can? Get out of your seat and just move towards them. Put your hand on their shoulder just so that nobody is standing alone. Everybody needs somebody to stand with them. Yeah, just stand with them. That's all you need. Just stand with them. Just let them know they're not alone. It's so good. All of this movement, this is the family of God doing what the family of God does. And I'm gonna pray for all of us. Father God, In Jesus' name, you know what each person needs. This is not an insignificant detail to you, God. You know exactly what it was that pushed that person to their feet. And so we are asking you, as the God who can put currency in a fish's mouth, to meet these needs and provide these miracles. God, for those who need a physical miracle, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would heal them physically. Lord, for those who need a relational miracle today, God, I pray that you would humble hearts, whether it's in a family system or a work situation. God, I pray that you would bring humble people together, that that the relational world could be put back together again. God, for those that are wondering, how are we going to keep the doors open on our business? God, would you provide miraculously for them? God, for those who, who have a son or a daughter who's far from you, God, would you bring that family home? Jesus, we are praying in faith, believing for each of these that have the courage to stand that today would be the day. Lord, we can't talk about tomorrow. We pray for faith for tomorrow, but God, right now in this moment, would you give them the faith to throw the line in the water one more time? 
And in doing so, Lord Jesus, we know that when they reach to you, you reach back. So God, we are asking for a wave of miracles at Christ the King Community Church. God, heal, restore, provide. Whatever it is that they need, we pray in faith believing with them and for them to a God of miracles. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And all God's people agreed together and said, Amen, Amen. Thank you to everyone who prayed. Thank you. That's church. Now, would you all stand with me? Caught you halfway down. (laughs) So good. If you need more prayer, the after-service prayer team will be up here at the front. I hope you're encouraged by this little miracle story. If God can put money in the mouth of a fish, I'm pretty sure he can take care of you. Throw your line in the water again and have the faith to believe. May you go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit today. Your miracle worker, your may waker, may, way maker. And may you know